I guess it's your chance to live for infinity, right? If you actually do it right, you know, you can influence other folks and they can then take that and bring it somewhere else. Hi, I'm Nils Vigna, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Sloan Colt. Sloan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nils. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to digging into all things leadership, but first, would you share with me and the audience a little bit about your role today and the company that you work for? Sure. I'm the director of FP&A customer success here at DataRails. We are a financial analytics platform um, focusing on the FP&A you know, world. It's actually quite a lot more than that. Super cool tool. I was actually a new person who joined today was telling me how much they would have loved having it in their previous role, and I feel the same. So I'm excited to be a part of that. Now, that's a very good sign when someone brand new to the organization who came from this industry said, I wish I would have had this years ago. So that's that's just wonderful. For those in the audience who may not be terribly familiar with the FP&A world, could you give us just a little brief background on what that means and what it all entails? Sure. The FP&A world has been, I would say, in a, a period of a lot of change right now. It's There's drastic movements in, in how the the field, I guess you would call it, right? How it looks from where it once was. Uh, it used to be very manual, very straightforward, a lot of like putting numbers together and presenting them, which is still unfortunately a really big piece of what people do today. It's moving into a lot of different places, really working towards automation and transforming the role of finance from something that is very, like that bean counter, right? I think that's usually what it used to be associated with. This is really turning finance uh, into what it's truly best at, which is strategy, right? So we're, we're, we're taking finance professionals who have spent their entire lives focusing on telling people what the numbers are, and now we're allowing them to really take a stock of the business, understand where, you know, what are the risks, what are the opportunities, where can this go, and then take a very big strategic look at their organizations. And then, like, you know, if you can imagine, like, COVID times, right, like, this stuff's super important. If you don't understand what's happening in your finances, if you don't understand what you can afford, what's a good investment, all of that, it's definitely a, a cause for trouble. So it's pretty cool. I mean, that's that's fascinating. It's not terribly often that an industry completely overhauls itself going from a, 
you know, what it may be considered like a back office type of thing, right? The finance people sit in the corner of this office and they just crank out stuff. And then there's reports consumed by somebody else who makes decisions. And now if I understand it correctly, what you are doing and the data teams is doing is empowering those that finance function to operate in a much more strategic way to provide guidance around investments and doing analysis and what's a good and what's bad return, et cetera. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. It's it's really funny because when people will talk to me about like finance people, um, they'll be like, yeah, you know, finance people, they're like these shy, quiet people or like socially inept. And I'm like, well, think you really know finance people because at the end of the day, the best finance people are relationship driven, right? They're all about, you know, working with their business partners. They're all about uh, getting the best from the people that they work with. And I was trained very early on that like everybody I work with in my organization was my customer. So maybe my, my transition is a little bit different, but I was always there to serve them. And what that also meant is that when I called them up on the phone or I sent them a message, right, they would pick up, they would answer right away because they always knew that I wasn't going to bother them unless it was something important, but also that I was a resource for them that they wanted to make sure it's like, oh, you know, I got to make sure this is slow. Like I, I got to take care of that. So that, that was a, my first mentor who, who instilled that in me uh, and still there to this day. Just such a great piece of advice, regardless of who your customers technically are, anybody you work with can be your customer, right? I mean, whether you're in finance or you're in HR or you're in customer success where you have the company's customers or you're in some other fun- marketing, right? Or sales, right? Everybody you work with. And I, I just love that sentiment you know, because we're there to serve other people and other there people are there to serve us and our greatest contributions and you know accomplishments will come from us partnering together. Absolutely. And I think it just speaks to like the value of teams and teamwork, right? Because we all sort of have like different functions that we bring together. <laughs> it is kind of funny, like, you know, we all have our places where we're like, ah, you know, if I if you're in finance, a very classic one is like up against sales. And you're like, ah, you know, like they're with their numbers. What are they doing right here? Right but we all rely on each other to make it work together. Ultimately, the company can't exist with without either part, right? And, and we need to find all those like nice partnerships and, and partnerships definitely like the right word. It's like, we work better together. We empower each other to do better work than we could have without each other. And it, it is amazing how much stigma, I guess, is out there. And if I, you know, the one time of year that everybody goes through annual planning and budget, it's like, oh, I got to go, you know, make the case to finance and get, you know. <laughs> yeah. The reality is if you've done the work of building a relationship, it's not like that at all. Right. Am I right? Like, I'll say that there's an element. Yes, because you want the finance person to be your advocate. I mean, the more they understand about what it is you're trying to accomplish, right? If, in my view, a bad finance person is someone who looks at numbers and says, oh, that's too expensive. Go away, right? A good finance person will look at it and say, okay, like, talk to me. What is this money going to do? Where is this going? What's it going to drive? What's the future benefit to it, right? Look at the full picture. You have to be able to go on that creative ride with someone, right? So a finance person tends to be very detailed, very, you know, they're logical, working through those numbers. You have to be able to go on that, like, see that vision of what that business partner is trying to accomplish and say, okay, like this, this can work, right? So that that can play out or like, no, that's never going to work. Or, hey, have you thought about this, which would probably be the way that we would <laughs> tell people to talk to people about it. But finance is really, 
it's really a fundamental building block to any business, right? But it is about partnership at the end of the day and helping people understand like, where's this going to go? When I start new jobs, right? It, in my, my previous life as a finance person, you know, I, I would tell people like, listen, I want to say yes. I assure you, I really, really want to say yes. I can't always, right? And tr- you'll have to trust that where, where I'm coming from is all for the best of the organization. And then the other time is sometimes, well, finance doesn't have a say in it either. That happens too. That happens too. There is a line at which they they get overruled or overturned or it's just not not the right place. So I love what you said there about the full picture. And in order for finance to understand the full picture, the leader requesting whatever the budget or funds is has to understand the full picture, number one, but also have thought through how can I position what I'm asking for in a way that is a net value positive to the company? It's not just about going to finance and saying, I want $100,000 for X. It's about making a business case. And I would imagine that in your career, you've probably seen the entire gamut of people who have been really prepared and can paint the vision and paint the whole picture versus those who maybe came up a little bit short and didn't spend all as much time as they should have planning. Is that fair? <laughs> That's probably fair, although it has something, it probably has a little bit more to say about the particular cultures of given companies. Some places are a little bit more, you know, lax and they're not thinking you know, in, in quite that, you know, rigid of a way. And that can bring its own like value, right? Where you might have innovations where sometimes, and this is where you, the good finance, bad finance person comes in, right? Because if you have a person who's sitting there and they, they make it so rigid that you actually can't like see that vision, you can't see where it's going to go. Well, you're going to get out on that opportunity. It's like the, you know, the Kodaks, right? And I, I, I shouldn't blame that on a finance person, but it might have been, you know, like someone who was like, oh, why would we spend that? Like, we have a cash cow. Why would you disrupt that? <laughs> um, so it's like, pay attention to that. Hey, Xerox, you know, pay attention to the mouse and the PC and all of those things. Like, you can get lost in the numbers a little bit if you're not paying attention as a finance person. So I think the best finance people are all about teamwork and all about keeping that open mind and can go on that strategic vision and actually be actually part of creating the business case with their business partner. That's actually the best way to go about it. So, okay, so let's talk about that for a second. That's really interesting in terms of partnering in particular with finance, being part of creating the business case. When we think about finance, right, granted, if it's a little bit older view, it's going to be a little bit more shut off and like, well, there's a certain amount of budget. It has to do with certain things and that's it. Right. But when you talk about being part of creating the vision, what's the end goal of this more modern finance organization that leaders would look to position their initiatives in light of so that ultimately they could, you know, get a win-win out of all this for everybody. What is finance really looking to drive in these modern times? I mean, I think a lot of it is really about finding the right balance, right? Because a finance person at the end of the day has a responsibility to make sure employees are paid, to make sure that bills are paid, that they're able to to fund the business moving forward. So that's always a constant. And depending on where you are, what stage of the you know business you are, if you're a young company, you're going to be so cash focused. If you're you know a struggling company, that's also going to be one of those concerns. But if you're a growing company, right? You need someone who can go with you on that journey. And and I think it really, it's about being flexible. And I think so many things in business really are. It's about being able to roll with it and say, okay, here's the circumstance. 
and being able to move from that. And, and I have seen some finance people who get really, really stuck on those like little pieces and they just can't, you know, they can't go to that next level of strategy. And I think what we're seeing more and more is, is the field of data analytics also, right? If that, that's like kind of the next frontier that finance is really becoming a, a very powerful analytical function within the organization. And then you're starting to get like tied into marketing and other like other analytical, you know, functions within companies. So I think in terms of the the like transformation of the finance function, it really is moving from that like quote unquote bean counter to someone who really is actually driving those business decisions, isn't just along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And and that is a that's a monumental shift. I and mean, we're talking about decades and decades and decades, pretty much since finance existed, like it hasn't gone through a major upheaval, right? But now you're positioning it as this is a totally different, much more strategic function, much more valuable to the organization and a completely different, almost evolution of persona needs to be in those leadership roles from a finance perspective. Is that right? I totally agree. I mean, and I I think it's already there. I think we've sort of seen it happen slowly. I think it's going to happen it's going to accelerate from, you know, even where we're at right now. I see it on my team here at Data Rails, you know, people just walk in and they're, you know, they're used to this. They're used to being in the seat of like, okay, we're putting this together, but here, you know, like maybe they're not the CFO, right? But maybe their CFO is then going to be sitting in the boardroom. They're making all of those decisions with, you know, the the entire C-suite trying to like hash out what the company is going to do. And the finance person isn't just there to like say, well, you can do this or you can't do it. It's like, hey, this is a good idea or it's not a good idea. You know, it's really about driving value at the end of the day. Hmm. And that's, a you know, just a fantastic underlying point, whether you're in customer success, whether you're in finance, whether you're in HR, whether you're in sales, whether you're in product engineering, whatever it is, it's about driving value at the end of the day. Right. How can I how can I? the leader or the individual add more value to this organization than was there yesterday, right? And that should be a common thread across the board. Oftentimes it is, and sometimes it's not, but it's always there if you're willing to take it. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So that was a fun trip down the, the whole finance piece. And I think we've pulled out some really good nuggets to take advantage of, regardless of what your relationship is like with your finance organization today. Think about looking at it from a partnership perspective, even if it's been adversarial in the past, even if your finance uh, leadership and finance department does not act in the way that Sloan was just describing as this more modern, more strategic function, treat them as a partner. You might be surprised at the response that comes back, right? Help them look good. (laughs) They got to make big decisions and we want to make decisions together, but we got to make them look good. What single most important piece of advice would you give to a people leader in a position who has to make a request or going through a budget process with finance, what advice would you give them to make it as you know big a win as possible for everybody? Um, I would say there, I, I hesitate for it to be one piece of advice because I think going back to what you said earlier, I think that it's like, first of all, th- this is on the finance person a lot, but like if it's not coming from your finance person, try and get it make sure that you're you have a really solid business partnership with your finance resources right you want the, you want them to be your partner in what you're doing include them it will pay dividends so that that like is sort of like the first piece 
And the second piece is make sure you're setting out the vision, right? Making sure you're you're telling the story of what is to happen. Because if you just sort of, you know, someone say, hey, I need, you know, $5 million to do X, Y, Z thing. And they're going to be like, okay, tell me about it, right? They're constantly assessing the risk, right? It's like risk reward, right? So if you help them understand why they're taking the risk with that investment to do that marketing campaign or whatever it might be, just help them understand that vision, where you're going with it. And I think this is true of like buy-in in general, include them in part of your process to get there and say, hey, I was thinking about this project, you know, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on it. Maybe you could help me even model it out, that kind of a thing. But if you include them, and I think that's like I said, it's true for not just finance, it's true in general for human beings, get their buy-in, include them, have them be a part of your process. You'll never have a better advocate. Love it. Just fantastic advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Just so true. Cool. All right. So let's now shift gears a little bit and talk about your leadership journey. And we'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into your first people leadership position. Okay, sure. I would say it's like a not a straight journey. So it's a very strange journey. My first people leadership role, I would say like the evolution of it actually started at the very beginning of my career. Like I guess probably any people leader, right? Um, my first job was an absolute and total accident. I was not supposed to stay there. It was supposed to be a, a temporary thing. I was uh, in upstate New York. I had been you know, going to school and graduated. I was waiting for someone else who was going to graduate before we moved back downstate. It didn't end up happening quite that way. Instead, I actually started this job. I started as a temp because I wasn't supposed to be there. The company, when I first joined, was, was quite small. Um, and got purchased by a much larger multi-billion dollar company. So I actually saw a, a lot within that particular organization. But the person that I reported to at the beginning was actually the CFO of that, that company. His name is John Graham. I'll, I'll say like, thank you, John. Um, I owe him a debt of gratitude. I was talking to him just uh, last weekend. He really took me under his wing. I just completely fell in love with the guy. Like he's just everything he would be like, oh, you know, I can see you can do this. Like, Let's, you know, let's work on this. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you this. He gave me a ton of responsibility and it was like, okay, you're not a temp, you know, I'm going to bring you in. He gave me a job. It was called a special projects manager, whatever that means. But basically it was like, whatever it was budgeting. It was whatever, you know, you could come up with. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, it was mostly a financial analyst, <laughs> but he slowly gradually gave me a lot of ownership, right. And responsibility my actual first people leadership roles were informal people leadership roles because I ended up leading a lot of cross-functional team initiatives. And um, when we were purchased by the larger organization, I was actually in charge of, of several parts of like our integration with a larger company. I was just extremely lucky. There's like no other way to put it. I, I met someone who, who just was a, is an amazing human being. I wouldn't be where I am today. <laughs> I could have made other choices. Like, I, I, you know, I think I mentioned this to you. Like, I probably shouldn't have stayed there and worked as long as I did, but I loved working for him and I always was learning something from him. And so I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity. My actual first people leadership role probably came uh, later on. Like, if you want to talk the direct route, I had founded my own company and that had failed moved on, learned lots of lessons there too, uh, is definitely one of those things that I did not, there was a naivete there. I did not know how much I did not know. Uh, gratefully, I know a lot more now. 
a lot more, <laughs> including the immense amount that I learned then during that failure. Wouldn't change it for the world, by the way. But after that, I became the assistant controller at a company, basically was running a, an accounting team. It's kind of funny because it's not finance. It's very different. That is a little bit more your typical bean counter. I didn't last there very long before moving on to other roles, but a very weird trajectory to me getting there. <laughs> we'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. Now looking back from the point at which you are at today to all those seemingly disparate and kind of random pieces, how do all those experiences translate into your leadership and how you show up in today's world? What I can say is that John Graham for sure shaped me in a lot of ways as a leader, right? He was all about empowerment. He was all about support, right? And I think he was a servant leader before there was such a term. I'm extremely grateful for, you know, I told him the other week that he spoiled me. He really was all about lifting up his team and being there for his team, supporting his team, removing whatever obstacles he could find for his team. I would say that that shaped me in an enormous way. And in general, I would say like that very strange. I was I was a part of a lot of different things, both before and after being a people leader that um, I think has translated to what I do today very, very well in a very weird way. It just like kind of worked out better than I could have planned for it because I was exposed to a lot of different things, which, you know, here at Data Rails, we, we are dealing with a, a, a tremendous a tremendously wide variable group of people who are looking to do a tremendously wide variable group of things. Gratefully, my experience has allowed me to understand what most of them are talking about um, and be like, oh, I know what you're talking about. I know what I got. It. I got you. <laughs> I've been there at one point in my journey. Well, and what, what you pull out there is, is really interesting that one, there is no one perfect path, right? In any leadership position, but in our careers that while at the time, uh, and I certainly am a source of this too, like there was a 10 year period where I bounced around from job to job, role to role, had no clue where I fit in the professional world, but 10 years later, it's perfectly clear <laughs> how those skills that I acquired in those different roles ended up helping me be really successful in these other areas. And it sounds the same, very similar to you. So, you know, the, the piece I take away and for the audience to remember is that there is no one perfect path, right? What you described of your environment with John is, is perfect in how there was, you know, you were consistently getting more and more responsibility. You were consistently learning new things. You felt incredibly supported. Uh, you felt like you were challenged. I mean, that's the recipe for a magic environment for someone like you to thrive. And isn't it interesting that I'm sure you've worked for other bosses who were not as great of leaders as John over time, and I have as well, and then had those in rare instances where you get a chance to work with a leader like that. And it's like the world changes, like your outlook on life changes, frankly, because you spend so much time with that person. <laughs> I, I will say I've been blessed to have uh, 
some pretty good uh, leaders in my life. So I'll, I'll say that. But what I would say is that I do owe John like a tremendous debt of gratitude that I'll never be able to to actually thank him for because it's I can't put it into word, he, words. He, he completely shaped who I am as a professional. He is a person of such integrity, such high integrity. It allowed me to feel comfortable having that at work. And I think that had I not been exposed to that, it would have been something that I would have been like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that here. You know, he allowed me to be brave. I'll never be able to thank him enough. I'll never be able to give him enough credit. I have a feeling that even just seeing where you are today and the growth that you're going on and the team that you're running and how you carry yourself and your interview on this podcast probably goes a long ways towards a great deal of satisfaction and appreciation, you know, from John's side, because, you know, that was his goal was to help you become a better person, a better leader, better, you know, running your teams, running your company, running whatever it was. That's the goal of, you know, in the, in the servant-based leadership for sure. And in leadership in general, I think the most powerful leaders are those who are there and driven to do nothing more than do everything humanly possible to make sure that the individuals who work for them are successful in whatever fashion that means. Couldn't agree more. Because it means something different. <laughs> I absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I'll, I'll just smile when I think of him because I think he, he's just, He's just a stellar human being. And uh, again, I'm just like, I'm the luckiest person to, to have been part of this team. 100%. And I, you know, if, if, you're, if you're listening to the audio version of this, check out the, uh, the full video version that we have because the smile on Sloan's face is gigantic. <laughs> it, it's literally gigantic and it's wonderful. Now, imagine just for a moment that some of the individuals that report to you have this biggest smile on their face when they're thinking about you. Imagine five years down the line that the people that work for you today talk about you in the way that Sloan's talking about John. The reality is it's completely possible, but it requires effort. It requires dedication. It requires education. It requires coaching. It is not happened by chance, right? But it is a very conscious thing that John created in that environment. And look at the result. It's just amazing. Uh, I would say I don't know if I'm worthy of that yet, but uh, but I will strive for it, and, and thankfully I have a good role model. There you go. That's all it takes, right? And there's you know there's a series of things that you do that you've modeled after John, which is great, and then you've probably adapted a ton of that to your own style because you're a little bit different. That's okay, but the principle of what John enabled is still there within you, and I gotta imagine it's still within your team and your interactions and the, as a whole. Am I am I right on yes, that? Yes. Little does he know he uh, sits here every day with my team in data house. <laughs> And that is just how powerful leadership can be. And one of the things I, you know, reinforce with people all the time is that you'll never have as great of a potential impact on somebody else's life. And Sloan, you're a perfect example of this, telling us this story as you do when you are a people leader for the simple fact that you have the ability to positively or negatively influence somebody's life, right? We've all worked for bosses who have been terrible and who just don't get it. And some fortunate lucky few have worked for people like John, right? And people like Slim and people like myself and others who spend a tremendous amount of time and effort and energy 
in developing leadership skills, but it's all possible. It's your choice how you want to show up. It's your choice how you want to impact somebody else's life. Do you want to have them to be consumed with fear and hatred and kind of just terrible negative feelings like I know I was many, many years throughout my career? Or do you want them to have a smile as big as Sloan's sitting here talking about you in a couple of years from now? I guess it's your chance to live for infinity, right? If you actually do it right, you know, you can influence other folks and they can then take that and bring it somewhere else. Very well said. One of my, the women that runs the coaching program that I went through 10 years ago to become a leadership coach, her saying on this was you create your ripple effect of change. And it was just a really nice summation that if you imagine a perfectly still lake and you drop a rock right in the middle that, that one conversation, that one experience, that one engagement, even down to something that small, just has this ripple effect on that individual. And then it, it translates to the people they come in contact with, and then their family, and then their friends. And all of a sudden, they're exuding this confidence that was never there before because you started that. Yeah, I think it's very easy for people to get like sort of sucked into a trap where you're like, oh, like, I really can't do anything. Like I have this small little, you know, world. But the truth is, if you interact with anybody at all, and whether you're a leader or not, like it doesn't actually matter. Like you, you can be a people leader without actually having anybody report to you. And and I would say, like going back to the earlier part of my story, right? Like those were definitely more. If you want to know what was more challenging for me, leadership wise, it was when you don't have direct authority because you actually have to show leadership through getting respect, through being able to have people work together without you having any like. They don't have to like they could do whatever they want, but they're doing it because they want to work with you because they, you know, they see value in whatever the process is doing. So um, I think that's just like if you work with other people, well, you sure can have an impact on them. That's going to your point. Like you can choose if it's a good impact or a bad impact. Also, you're going to find better results if it's a good impact. It's just it's like, I don't know. It feels obvious to me, but I <laughs> know it's not. It's one of those things that's like, everybody's like, oh yeah, this is, that's total common sense. Like, of course. Duh. And yet like what 90% of people are unengaged at work. Like we have one of the highest burnout rates ever, especially post pandemic where people can't stop. And it comes down to, well, what's the expectation? What's the environment? And how comfortable are you sharing those things with your leader? Like, regardless of if you are in the leadership seat or not, there's a really great point that you made, which is just you have the ability to demonstrate leadership skills at any level. But it is on you to identify where the gaps are in your skill set and acquire the right tools and coaching and guidance and training and environment to put them into place. If you do that, streets are paved with gold. Whatever you want to do in your career, you can do. right? And it took me a 10 15 years to learn this lesson, right? But once I learned it, it was magical because things turned around and all of a sudden I took control and I was in a whole different place because I decided I wanted to be there. When I was working in finance roles, especially towards the latter portion of my career in, in finance, I'm still sort of a finance person, but not really at this point. I found myself very miserable and being like, I don't care anymore. Like this isn't, I'm not interested. I'm very bored. Uh, and that that happens to be one of my like, enormous weaknesses. I, I get bored extremely easily. Um, luckily, I'm in a place now where I don't actually have to worry about that. Um, so that's that's really good. I have new challenges every day. Um, and every customer that we speak to, right, they're all looking for something different. They all have a different setup. 
we just have a constant stream of problems. But if I look back to where I was earlier, I was constantly like, oh, what am I going to do with this? Right. Like at the end of that, I'm like, oh, I'm really going to bring me somewhere. If I had known at the time that this is where I was going to be, well, maybe it would have like made sense, but I didn't have that sense of this existing. And it turns out that all those weird little experiences that I had that, you know, accounting here and the system implementation and then the FP&A pieces all came together to make me very well-rounded for the kind of role that I'm in right now, makes me very comfortable here, makes it like, yes, of course, there, you know, there are a lot of problems, but I understand what problems I'm solving, um, which is very useful in my field. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I think that's true across the board that there is no one perfect path. So whether you're early in your career, mid-career, late career, in today's day and age, it just doesn't matter right? It's more about what do you have passion for doing? Who do you have a passion for serving? Where do you want to focus your skill set? What skill set do you want to acquire? And if you make those decisions, then there's endless opportunity wherever it is because you can add value to the organization. And as long as you can add more value to the organization than was there yesterday, you're in good shape and you will always be in demand and people want to work with you. And especially if you demonstrate leadership skills like we've been talking about here, you can write your ticket anywhere. That's totally agree. It's kind of funny because I think I was stuck on like the CFO path, right? Like, so I was like, oh, you know, and then I really didn't want to be a CFO at the end of the day. And then I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, I, you know, I, I really was panicked for, for a while. And I think the lesson for me that I needed to really learn was like, listen, everything that you're doing Finance is one thing, right? That's a specific skill set, but there's so much more to being a professional that it, you're able to go across, you know, many different fields. You're able to, if you can problem solve, if you can think critically, if you're able to understand business strategy, if you're able to, whatever it might be, you can grasp onto those and use them in different fields. I never would have thought I was going to be working customer success. I didn't even know what customer success was, right? Like, I mean, it's still to this day when I hear it, I'm just like, it really does sound like it's like in a call center somewhere, but it's just, it's just the opposite <laughs> of that, right? Like, I mean, yes, you're on the phone with customers, but it's just, it's not the same thing. It's so dynamic. It's so high level, so strategic. If I had known this was here, I don't know if I would have aimed for it, right? But I'm glad I landed here. Isn't that amazing, right? And you look back and you're like, hmm. All those pieces led me to here. There is no, I mean, especially in customer success, there is no one path because it hasn't existed right. for that long, period. <laughs> That's right. Right? And that was the same thing for me was those random occurrences and, and experiences in those different marketing, sales, sales, engineering, solutions, consulting, consulting, product, you name it. It was all those little experiences that enabled me to be a great customer success professional. That was fun, right? But at the time, it felt terrible. <laughs> all I could ask was the same thing like you. Six months in, I'm bored. <laughs> what do I go do next, right? Uh, but know that that was just a sign that the alignment wasn't there. And true to form, looking back, alignment 100% wasn't there. So, you know, always pay attention to that alignment, I think, is a really important thing, too. Just to be aware that if you do get bored... It's not about just, well, I got to stick this out for another 24 months or 12 months or whatever it is. It's like, okay, what am I bored with? Number one. And number two, what could I do in this current role if I don't plan on leaving this organization to build some skills that might 
enable me to keep, be a little bit more engaged, be a little bit more, um, have some more fun, learn something new, apply things in a different way, add more value to the organization. And those can help get through an awful lot if you're not in the perfect role that you want to be in. I used to think there was something wrong with me, honestly. Like, you know, you showed up at work and I would just be like, I mean, getting to work in the first place was really, really hard. And it's not like it was, you know, it was fine, but I was just, it, it was so crushingly boring. <laughs> and it's just because it wasn't for me, right? And there are plenty other people that I worked with they're just fine. Like they're okay. And I, and I, and I kept looking at them being like, why are you okay? Why am I not okay? Like what is wrong with me? And it really is because ultimately it wasn't the right fit. Like I wasn't, it's great that I learned all of that and all of like having had that experience has allowed me to make this transition. So that I'm like, now I'm working in a tech company. I'm working in like things that all of a sudden, all those things that were bothering me for, it's like, Oh, that makes sense now. Um, so, you know, if I'm bored, it's a sign. It's like, I mean, maybe there's something that I should work on. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, yeah, and- it's something to pay attention to, right? Your mind can, if even if you don't view it that way today, pay attention to your gut. The gut always knows, right? The amount of nerves and stuff that happens in our gut is beyond comprehension from how it works. But it knows in very quickly whether or not something feels really good or something feels a little bit off. And it's, it's that ignoring that piece for the sole purpose of focusing on what you're thinking about in your brain that can get us into trouble or keep us stuck in one place because we overthink, well, if I move here, then I can't do this. Or if I don't stick in this job for two years, then I'm never going to be employable again. It's like, that's not really true, right? It's just pay attention to the gut because when you find that alignment and when you find that passion, just like Sloan has, just like I have, just like uh, John had, right? The, the possibilities are endless, 100%. Uh, absolutely. And I think that's just it. It's like, just if I find myself being bored again, which right now, not so worried about it, but <laughs> if I do, I know that it's like, okay, wait, am I in the right place? Is this the right role? Make sure that, you know, you're getting, you know, some sort of value from work, right? Like work at the end of the day, it's it's work, right? And, and you know, it's not it's not doing all of your favorite hobbies 24-7. It's always going to be something that's serious and you'll, you know, pay attention to and you'll do it. But like, you should be having fun somewhere. I have a lot of fun these days. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean like I don't have it doesn't mean that I don't have stress. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's a perfect world. What it means is that I'm in something that makes sense for me. I'm, I'm with a, with an organization, I'm with, you know, working in an industry. I'm certainly in a role that like fits my skill set and keeps me, well, smiling. Entertained, yes. right? Yes. We're entertained. That's, That's cool. awesome. Okay, cool. So last question here, Sloan. If you could go back in time, knowing everything you know today and sit down with your younger self when you got into that first, uh, let's, let's take the first, like, you know, those cross starting to get into those cross-functional team situations where you were not technically a people leader, but you had responsibilities like a people leader and you could give yourself some advice and sit down, have a conversation. What advice would you share with your younger self? I think what I probably would have needed to have heard back then was that it doesn't matter what your reasoning is. It's actually a being able to communicate it in a way that someone on the other side can process it on their end, which I think is just a kind of a core thing about communication. I have a thing about me that I'm like, oh, well, here's logic, 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 logic. <laughs> it's not what people need to hear. What they need to hear is you have to like, 
you have to look at their perspective and say, okay, here's where they're coming from. Let's take a step back. If I were sitting in their shoes, if I had their responsibility, what is it that's going to speak to them? So I think that's probably what, what I would express to myself at that age. Love it. Perfect advice. Perfect advice. Good. So valuable for early in career, for mid-career, for late career, at any point, right? Think about it in terms of their perspective and what they want. So you have a much better chance of landing your message as opposed to just relying on logic. Well, Sloan, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you about leadership and your history and your experience. Love what you and the Data Reels team are doing to transform the finance industry. Uh, it's just fascinating. And thank you for sharing your incredible advice and wisdom and expertise. Thank you so us. much. Uh, it's been truly a pleasure being on the show. You're great. So thank you, Neil. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.